Uh, in the last few weeks, we have uh, looked at Jesus uh, sending out the 12 disciples uh, to be his witnesses. And um, he warned them in advance that there may be uh, rejection. Not everybody was going to receive the gospel message. And um, he also warned them of persecution. Uh, today, we will have a, an opportunity to see one of his witnesses uh, who uh, was indeed uh, rejected and uh, suffered persecution and as a result uh, became what we might call a discouraged witness, a discouraged witness. And uh, I'm wondering whether uh, you have had that experience yourself. Have you tried going out uh, with the gospel? Maybe not necessarily to another country. Uh, may have been trying to share with a family member or maybe with a friend, maybe with a neighbor, maybe with a coworker. Um, and yet you have experienced rejection. You have perhaps even experienced some form of persecution. And uh, how did that make you feel? Uh, and uh, have you ever become discouraged as a result? Uh, if you have, if you have become a discouraged witness, uh, here is a lesson for us in seeing the Lord Jesus responding to this discouraged witness uh, to uh, get the encouragement that Jesus wants for us today in our witness. Uh, or perhaps in the future, you will have an opportunity, you will come face to face with a discouraged witness, maybe someone who today is on fire for the Lord and uh, that person might uh, experience rejection and persecution and become a discouraged witness. That's a real uh, issue today for missionaries, some of them are sidelined by COVID-19, not able to reach the people that they crossed the ocean to try to minister to because everybody is locked up uh, in their home. Uh, how do we encourage a person who is discouraged in their witness? So let's go ahead and look to the Lord again in prayer and then we'll read our passage and see what the Lord has for us. Father, we do want to consider your uh, tender mercies to us, and also that your eyes often see differently than our eyes uh, in the uh, prospect of witnessing. And so we, we pray that we might receive encouragement from you today through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 15. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to them and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Let's go ahead. We'll pause uh, here, and we'll continue reading uh, after we address what's found in this passage. So, uh, clearly, the discouraged uh, witness in this passage is none other 
than John the Baptist himself. Now, John wasn't one of the 12 apostles that Jesus uh, just sent out in the previous chapter, but he was one of Jesus' messengers, or you might say God's messengers, because he went out uh, to preach and to prepare people for the coming of the Lord Jesus, perhaps similarly to how the apostles were now going village to village, city to city, to prepare people for the coming of the Lord Jesus to their area. So John predates them somewhat, but he is still around as the Lord Jesus is uh, ministering. And uh, it appears in this passage, and we'll get into it, that John is quite discouraged, uh, uh, quite a discouraged witness at this point. Why is he a discouraged witness? Let's have a quick review of John the Baptist's uh, ministry as we find it in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So that was a little bit prior to Jesus' ministry. Uh, John went out and was preaching and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. He was telling people they needed to repent uh, of their sins. Why? Because the kingdom was coming. In fact, the king himself was coming, the Lord Jesus. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now, John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing, their sins. Uh, if we were to ask John, he would describe these as the glory days. Yes, he was uh, in the wilderness. Yes, he was dressed in camel's hair and uh, living on a diet that we may not choose for ourselves. But people were coming. The crowds were coming. They were hearing his message. They were confessing their sins. They were being baptized. Uh, and uh, the Lord Jesus came at the end of that period and himself was baptized. And John saw the Spirit descending like a dove on the Lord Jesus. And he heard the Father speaking from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And John was able to point his own disciples to the Lord Jesus, uh, saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had a very fruitful uh, ministry. What happened to John's ministry? We're told, uh, and uh, jumping a little bit ahead in Matthew, we haven't gotten there yet, but uh, that Herod, in uh, Matthew 14, chapter 3, so it's something that already has happened, even though in Matthew uh, the, the verses are recorded a little bit later for us. For Herod had laid hold of John, so in Matthew 14, 3, for Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, 
it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. What went wrong? Well, uh, John didn't do anything that was wrong, but apparently uh, Herod had uh, in some way uh, it's actually it's not really clear if Herod actually came to him face to face, but it is possible that Herod himself came to John and uh, John pointed out Herod's sin and said, Herod, it's not lawful what you're doing. Uh, this is your brother's wife. Uh, we know a little bit from history that Herodias <coughs> felt that Herod was uh, a greater king than Philip, and she jumped ship, so to speak, and chose to be with the greater man. And Herod uh, was uh, happy to have her as his wife, but it was unlawful. Uh, she was another man's wife. And it appears that Herodias was actually more furious with John the Baptist than Herod himself, and it was for Herodias' sake uh, that Herod took John from his preaching ministry in the wilderness and put him in a, in a dungeon, in a prison, in a place where John's ministry was practically impossible. He couldn't go out and preach to the people anymore. He may have suffered uh, some physical deprivation, but uh, I don't think that was as much of an issue for John, who was used to living a difficult life physically. But uh, spiritually, uh, he probably felt like an animal in a cage. Uh, he couldn't go to where the people were. The people weren't coming to him. Uh, he couldn't baptize them. Seems like there was some remnant of disciples who stuck with John in some way or another during this time. But it wasn't the same. The glory days for John were over. And so John, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, has become discouraged. We're told that it was when John heard in prison about the works of Christ that he felt motivated to send a couple of his disciples with the question, <clears throat> are you the coming one or do we look for Another, what was it about the works of Christ that stimulated uh, this message, uh, this uh, question? Well, as, John, as Jesus demonstrated miracles, he would speak a word and uh, people were cured of ailment, um, perhaps uh, uh, paralysis, uh, perhaps from leprosy. People were even being raised from the dead, all by the power of the word of Jesus, John uh, did the math and he figured out that uh, Jesus could deliver him from prison. He could speak the word and uh, the prison's doors would open. Uh, he could uh, end Herod's life or he could change perhaps uh, Herod's mind. There was no barrier, there was nothing limiting the power of Jesus from setting John free. <clears throat> and uh, John may be wondering, uh, why isn't Jesus coming to help me? Uh, he wasn't perhaps thinking of himself, 
but he was thinking of his ministry. I would be so much more useful out of jail than in jail in serving the cause of Christ. And uh, we don't know, again, the exact processes of John's mind, but he sends out this question, which is amazing to think about, coming from the uh, forerunner, are you, Jesus, the coming one? Are you the Messiah? Wait a second, John, you preached <laughs> that he was the Messiah. You baptized him. You saw the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven. You heard the Father's voice. Uh, you hear about his miracles. You know, why is there any doubt in your mind that he is the Messiah? Well, that's easy for us to say, right? But we were not in John's situation in jail. We might also have the foresight to say, well, Jesus himself will be crucified in a couple of years. Uh, why is it such a big deal that you're in jail? And, and yes, you will be executed too. We have that <clears throat> big picture that we can step back into and say, you know, John, to you everything seems wrong, but we know from the big picture that this is all according to plan. John didn't have that view that we have of the situation. All he knew is he was in jail. And uh, Jesus uh, had the power to get him out, but he wasn't uh, getting John out of jail. And so he asked the question, are you the coming one? Are you really the Messiah that I have been preaching? Or are we waiting for somebody else still to come? So we have here the case of John's discouragement. Now we get to look at Jesus' reply to him, starting in verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. We'll pause there again and consider Jesus' answer to John. First of all, Jesus seeks to encourage John in this situation. He's not tearing John down. He's not sending him a message, boy, John, you are a real disappointment. I expected so much more from you. No, John actually did the right thing in reaching out to Jesus, right? He didn't keep his doubts to himself. He didn't start maligning Jesus to others. He reaches out to Jesus, and Jesus is here going to encourage him. First, of all, he encourages him with the evidence. John, you want to know if I am the coming one? Look at the evidence. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. These would be words taken back to John, and John will be allowed to meditate and the significance of these things. Some uh, commentators point out that these 
miracles all have some uh, related prophecy in the Old Testament. So John will be able to compare his knowledge of the Old Testament with these miracles Jesus was doing <clears throat> and receive a strong confirmation that Jesus really is the Messiah. There's no reason to doubt, John, your preaching has all been valid. Your faith in Jesus is valid. All the signs are there to uh, recommend your faith in the Lord. There's no uh, reason to doubt. I was thinking of ourselves, and <clears throat> sometimes we become discouraged, and the Lord might encourage us in different ways. I was thinking of uh, an incident where uh, me and Sharon were talking about uh, the plans for the future before we were married, and um, Sharon was trying to figure me out a little bit and understand exactly who am I committing myself to spend the rest of my life with. And she wanted to know whether there was a possibility that I would go out to the missions. And I said something like, well, if that's the Lord's will, yeah, I'll, I'll answer a call to go to the missions. And she asked the question, well, how will we be provided for if we go uh, for the missions, and I didn't have a really good answer. I just believed, well, God will provide, right? If God calls me to the mission field, God will also provide for it. And I could tell Sharon with her um, uh, perhaps very practical, uh, planned way of, of making sure that she and potentially our children will be provided for, wasn't fully satisfied uh, with that answer. And uh, we were walking at that time to a Christian play. We were going to watch, I think it was a play about Easter or Christmas or something else at the local church in Berkeley. And uh, as we were talking, we got back, in, back to the uh, end of the line to purchase tickets. And all of a sudden, some uh, um, lady walked up to us and said, I have two extra tickets. Do you want them? And it was an encouragement for me because it was, yes, I can provide for your need. Uh, that was the Lord's way of encouraging us through a believer. Uh, that lady didn't know. We were just talking about how will the Lord provide for us if we were to go out to the mission field. But that was very firm in our mind, and it was very clear to us. It was the Lord's way of saying, I will provide if I will send. Now, the Lord hasn't yet called us to the mission field, but it was an encouragement we needed at the time, and the Lord provided it. Uh, we have an encouragement in the scriptures. Uh, John the Baptist, as far as we know, had no miracle, no visitation while he was in jail, but he received the words of the messengers of the Lord Jesus. They came to him and they, say, they told John, here are the things we hear, here are the things that we see that are evidence of of Jesus being the Messiah. And so we have the record of the scriptures. Romans 15, 4 says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. I get great encouragement about the truth of the gospel from God's word. Uh, the Bible records 
the life of the Lord Jesus. It records his death, which we were uh, speaking about earlier today. <coughs> it records his burial. It records his resurrection. Those were historical events. We are not basing our faith on some philosophy <coughs> that can be pulled out from under our feet. We are basing them on verifiable historical events with many witnesses. And uh, so as we study God's word, um, we have an opportunity to be encouraged uh, in the truth of the gospel that we're preaching. There's every reason as I study God's word for me to be encouraged that the gospel that I'm preaching is the truth, the word of God, and the power unto salvation for everyone that believes. So that's an encouragement. We have the encouragement of evidence as we might become a discouraged witness. Second, we're given here the encouragement of trusting the Lord. Jesus finishes his message to John with the words, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And I think this is referring to John's likely uh, discouragement uh, over the fact that he didn't understand what Jesus was doing. There he was in jail, and he's like, what the first thing Jesus needs to do is get me out of jail. And then I can go out again into the wilderness and preach, or hey, if Jesus wants me to go somewhere else and preach, I'm his man. You know, I've, I've demonstrated effectiveness. I have a track record of being effective for God. And, but that's not what Jesus was doing. He was training up a new generation of uh, apostles, messengers, witnesses to go out. And he left John in jail. And John's days are numbered because Herodias wants him dead. And uh, right now, Herod is just held back by the fear of the people. But uh, John's life is hanging by a thread. So what Jesus is telling John is, I... I have the big picture. I know you don't understand why I'm allowing you to be in jail at this time and possibly soon your life will be ended, but don't be offended because of me. I know what I am doing. I have allowed you to come into this difficult situation of being in jail, and yet I have the big plan, and Jesus has the big plan. And, and John fulfilled uh, most of his purpose. He was uh, the burning and, and shining lamp, uh, and, and he had a great impact on the nation of Israel. He prepared people for the coming of Jesus. He has a few remaining days in which he could continue to, to serve the Lord in jail, encouraging his disciples to seek out the Lord Jesus be perhaps a final witness to Herod. Uh, the executioner needs someone perhaps to, to share the gospel with him. So his, his ministry is not completely over, but he needs to trust the Lord Jesus for where the Lord had him at his time. And there's great encouragement that comes when we're trusting that the Lord knows what he's doing. Yes, something happened that's affected my ministry. COVID-19 has shut things down. People can no longer walk into our church. Um, I, I'm limited in spending time with my own family. They don't want me in their house. But 
but the Lord knows the situation. He allowed the situation. He has the big plan, and I can trust in him during this time. That's why Jesus says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Let's continue and read to the end of the chapter. Matthew 11, starting at verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here we see the, <coughs> the next encouragement that the Lord had for John's ministry. Now, we have to acknowledge that John may or may not have heard uh, this particular encouragement, uh, but we could be at least encouraged from the fact that the Lord Jesus had a very high view of John's ministry. John perhaps at this time was viewing himself as a failure and uh, his ministry as a failure. He was there to turn the nation of Israel to receive the Lord Jesus, and yet he was stuck in jail. The ruler of at least the area of Israel that he lived in <coughs> put, him, put him in jail and was rejected the message of the gospel. But we turn to the Lord Jesus and we see a very different view of John's ministry than John himself had. And I think that's one of the things we need to remember if we become discouraged about uh, our, our ministry is that God has an altogether different view of it than we do. He is in heaven, we are on earth. We're limited in time. God is not limited in time. He has the spread of eternity before him, and he sees the ways in which we have contributed to the growth of his kingdom. And he thinks that's absolutely marvelous. While we are here often looking below and discouraged over our lives and our ministry, God is excited about our ministry because he saved us for that ministry. He is working in our lives, in that ministry. He's bringing forth eternal fruit from our ministry, and that is wonderful uh, in his eyes. 
So let's turn our eyes from John's sad view of his ministry to the Lord Jesus' glorious view of John's ministry. Uh, we would also note that Jesus has nothing to say about John's current discouragement and what we might consider a failure, right? He chooses to view the positive and not the negative aspects of John's ministry. And so I believe the Lord does with us. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. The Hebrews were perhaps at the time of this, the writing of this verse a discouraged lot, and yet the author wants to point them to the fact that God remembers their earlier ministry, and God is not unjust to forget what they have done for him. God is not unjust to forget what John has done for him, and God is not unjust to forget what we have done for him. Okay, what does Jesus have to say of John's ministry first? He points the multitudes, and that's another thing to appreciate here. This is not John, sorry, this is not Jesus just trying to make John feel good because he's not even talking to John directly in the passage. It's Jesus challenging the multitudes with the good that John has done and how they are responding to what John did. Now, that will be more the subject of next week, next week's message. But still, uh, Jesus is speaking the truth about John and the reality about John's ministry that ought to be considered by Jesus' listeners because of its, uh, of its value uh, and the impact it ought to have on their life. First of all, it was John's consistency. <clears throat> Jesus says, what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. No, I'm sorry. Uh, one, back up one verse. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. So a reed shaken by the wind gives you the idea of a person who kind of goes with the flow, right? So perhaps when um, everybody felt that, yeah, Israel should turn from their sins and... Uh, and uh, return to God, well, John was happy to preach that message. But if there was an audience that didn't like uh, hearing about sin, but wanted instead to uh, hear just uh, maybe a feel-good message, John would change his message to a feel-good message. Did John do that? No. He challenged Herod to his face and said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her to wife. What you are doing is sinful, Herod. So John did not change his message with the uh, winds of popularity. He stuck by his guns. And the Lord Jesus appreciated that about him, and it, it made his words more significant. A person who would change his message, depending who's listening, might not be worth listening to, because you don't know what's going to come out of their mouth you know, next time that they speak. But John had a consistent message and therefore one that was worth listening to. Second, Jesus appreciated, and people ought to appreciate John's lifestyle. Was he a man clothed in soft 
garments? Uh, no, no. He was wearing uh, camel's uh, hair with a leather belt around his waist. Probably hard to imagine a less comfortable uh, piece of garment, but that just was a picture of the fact that John was willing to sacrifice his personal comfort, his personal lifestyle for the, for the calling that God had for him. When a man is willing to suffer in order to bring out a message, uh, it's a reason to believe the message that that man has. And, um, and that uh, would be something uh, for us to imitate, not necessarily uh, going out to the wilderness and wearing camel's clothing, but being willing to sacrifice our own physical comfort for the benefit of, of God's message. I was uh, convicted of that the other day. <clears throat> I had some opportunity to witness to a co-worker of mine or talk to him about spiritual things, and the opportunities to do it was during lunch, because during lunch time, we're allowed to take our masks off, and uh, we cannot sit at the same table at work, but we can sit one table away, so maybe something like uh, 6 to 12 feet away, and we could talk. So we had some opportunity to talk about spiritual things, and I wanted to follow up on those, and I was waiting for him to come back to his desk around noon so I could ask him if he wanted to go out to lunch again, and, uh, but I was getting hungry. Uh, the, the noon clock has ticked, and I was like, well, here's my food right next to me in my lunchbox. I think I'm going to eat. And so I went ahead and ate, and what do you know? My coworker shows up at his desk five minutes later, but that's too late. I've already taken my lunch. And uh, so <clears throat> I was convicted looking at this. How much am I willing to sacrifice of my personal comfort to gain an opportunity of witness. Uh, third, uh, the Lord appreciated uh, John's ministry, uh, particularly the fact that he was preparing people to receive the Lord. But what did you go out to see? A prophet, yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Uh, John's had a different ministry than your average prophets. Uh, most prophets concerned themselves just with uh, warning people about their sins and, and perhaps speaking of some salvation that God would bring in the future, maybe as Isaiah did uh, in chapter 53, we were reading today, even speaking on, of a Messiah who would one day come but John was the only prophet, if you would, or rather more than a prophet, who was able to say, you know, it's not a future time. He is coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He handled the Messiah. He baptized the Messiah. And he pointed people to the Messiah when he was here. And so his ministry was really greater than that of your typical prophet. He could personally introduce people to the Lord. And in that sense, Jesus could say, uh, among those born of women, there is not reason one greater than John the Baptist. None of the Old Testament could do what John the Baptist could. But Jesus is quick to say, <clears throat> but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven 
is greater than he. And I think what Jesus is talking about is our opportunity to introduce people to the Lord Jesus is no less, and in fact is greater than John the Baptist uh, opportunity, because we know more about the Lord Jesus' ministry than John himself did. He knew the identity of the Messiah. He seemed to have had some understanding even of the fact that the Messiah came to take away people's sins, but he didn't have the full gospel that we have. He can't tell people that Jesus died for their sins, that he was buried and that he rose again. Those were future events that John may have been dimly aware of, but which he could not preach to the level that we could preach today. So we have an even greater opportunity than John, or perhaps I should say a greater clarity of the gospel message and introducing people to Jesus than John had. <clears throat> Next, uh, Jesus is uh, pointing out to the significance of John's ministry. And again, he's, he's letting us see, he perhaps will allow John to see, certainly in the f- a future day, the importance of his ministry. We have it uh, here summarized in verses uh, 12 through uh, 14, <clears throat> and I'm going to go backwards because I think there's a one verse that's a little bit difficult to understand, and by going backward, it might make it a little bit easier. Uh, Jesus says of John that he is Elijah who is to come. What is he referring to? How is John Elijah? Well, Malachi chapter 4 says, this is Malachi preaching, Uh, to Israel, uh, literally the closing chapter of the Old Testament. And he says, remember the law of Moses, my servant. So this is God speaking through Malachi. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Uh, The Lord was coming. Messiah was coming. And Israel was not ready. And they will be judged for their sins, except that God was sending Elijah the prophet. And we understand that John wasn't Elijah in the flesh, but we're told in Luke that he came in the spirit of Elijah the prophet to do exactly that, to bring them to repentance. Had Israel repented of their sins and received the Lord Jesus, they would not have experienced God's judgment. So... Really, John was the person standing in the gap for the nation of Israel, trying to turn them from their sins and turn them back to God. He had a critical, super important role in God's economy of salvation for the nation of Israel. And we have a similar role in the lives of our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers who don't know God. Judgment is coming. God will make 
all wrongs right, and he does it by punishing sin. And yet we stand as those who know God's salvation, and we're trying to turn people from their sins and to God to receive the salvation offered them by the Lord Jesus. And so it's a critical, a role of critical importance cannot be overestimated how important John was for the nation of Israel and how important we are in the lives of those God puts us in. Uh, next, or rather going backward, it says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. John was, if you would, uh, the capstone, uh, maybe that's the wrong word, but uh, the, the final result of the Old Testament. The Old Testament <clears throat> explained God's law, God's justice, uh, God's judgment, but also God's promises for the Messiah. And John, in a sense, stood on all of God's uh, previous revelation in the Old Testament and pointed to the Lord Jesus as that fulfillment of all of God's righteousness, God's justice, and God's promises of salvation. So he, he had the full strength that comes from the fact he was standing on all of God's previous revelation. And we do the same when we present people with the gospel. We are standing on top of all God's revelation in the scripture, uh, perhaps uh, approaching uh, 1,500 years of prophet after prophet writing and recording God's word, uh, including the New Testament. When we share the gospel with people, we're really standing on, on top of all of God's mountain of revelation and presenting people with the conclusion of it. We have the full force of God's revelation behind us, as John did uh, in his day. And uh, finally, verse 12 says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Uh, you might wonder how that verse connects because I was wondering too exactly how that verse connects to the passage. Now, some people simply interpret it as Jesus explaining John's suffering at this time. He was in jail. He was suffering uh, persecution. Uh, now, that wasn't really limited. The one problem I had with that interpretation, it didn't start in the days of John the Baptist, right? Jesus told the Jews, which prophet did you not persecute, right? I mean, they, they, God's messengers have been persecuted in the Old Testament period also, um, so let me point you to what I think this verse is talking about, and we get it by looking at a similar verse in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 16, 16 says, the law and the prophets were until John. Okay, here's a connecting thought because that was pretty much what Jesus says in Matthew 11 as well. And then he says, since the time the kingdom of God has been preached, since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Well, that sounds a little bit different. Everyone is pressing 
into it compared to uh, the violent take it by force. But wait a second. In the Greek, the word is actually the same word. So if you have a Greek lexicon, you can go back and check me on it. But the word pressing in Luke is the same as the word violence in Matthew. And I think what that captures is if you uh, think of, um, of uh, Black Friday sales right before Christmas, right? And everybody is rushing into the stores to try to get the Black Friday deals to the point that they were endangering people's lives. People have been trampled to death because of everybody trying to get into the stores to get the best deal that they were offering. And uh, I think that's the violence that's speaking of in this word is really the result of John's preaching is everyone is rushing into the kingdom of God. Again, this is Jesus' perspective. John thinks himself as a failure, but Jesus is looking at people thronging into the kingdom at this time and says, this is the real impact of John's preaching. People are thronging to the kingdom. And uh, today, again, I've, I've tried to reach people in different ways, and I'm discouraged because I don't see a lot of fruit in my uh, witnessing, but God may have a different view of what's going on. I have a friend called Danny Blackman. Some of you may remember him. He was one of my best men at my wedding. And uh, he would uh, go down the street in San Francisco, Berkeley, and someone would hand him a tract, a Christian tract. And, John, and Danny would stuff it in his pocket. And probably the person passing out the tract felt, well, you know, he's probably never going to read it. But it's okay, I'll keep passing them on. What he didn't know is my friend Danny, an unbeliever, took the track and he would put it up on, on a window or somewhere we could see it on a fridge. And over the years, he collected dozens of these tracts and he would read them. And they would speak to him about God's love. And one day, Danny finally bowed his knee to the Lord and received his salvation. Now, you, if you've been the person passing out this tract, you would be, okay, one more tract that I passed out that, as far as I can tell, has borne no fruit. And yet God sees the impact of your work from heaven and across eternity, and he sees people rushing into his kingdom because of your work and my work and John's work and other people who trusted the Lord as his witnesses and continued preaching, passing out tract, trying to be a testimony, giving a book. And so Jesus had that perspective of John's work. Final encouragement, perhaps, and uh, I'm not sure if everyone feels the same encouragement that I do from it, uh, Jesus uses an important word in verse 14. He says, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. And then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What Jesus is pointing out to is people have a choice. Now, we preach the gospel. The gospel is the power of God 
unto salvation, and yet God does not take free will away from people. I like how uh, C.S. Lewis said it once, that the results of God's gospel coming to our ears will either be us telling God, your will be done. I will believe in you. I will trust in Jesus for, your, for my salvation. That is God's will for my life. Or God, we will reject the gospel and God will say, your will be done. It's our will that's keeping us out of heaven in that case. It's not God's will. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But our will might result in us not enjoying God's salvation. And God doesn't take that choice away from us. And so the encouragement here is it's not John's fault that Israel rejected his message. Now, we've seen that many people uh, have been saved as a result of John's work, but not everybody, and in truth, truth to say, not the majority. Israel as a nation rejected John, rejected Jesus, rejected the gospel, but it's not John's responsibility. He was the voice crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. He was not responsible for how they responded to that message. And the same is true in your life as a witness, my life as a witness. Uh, we have the opportunity to share the gospel with people. We are not responsible for their choice. If they reject the gospel message, that's not our fault. It's not your fault. God doesn't hold you at against you. If you were to go to a place where it's difficult to preach the gospel and many years labored sharing the gospel with people and maybe only one or two people get saved, your rewards are not going to be less than a person who goes to a land where people are ready to receive the Lord. He preaches the gospel and maybe hundreds of people get saved. Both of you labored the same for the Lord. The Lord's rewards are the same because you did the same work. In fact, the work you did might have been far more difficult. And the Lord sees that and will reward you according to your work, not according to how people responded to it. That is their choice. Your choice is whether to share the gospel. Their choice is whether to receive the gospel. And so we have limited responsibility for the results. And to me, that's an encouragement. You know, I, God won't punish me or fail to reward me because people say no. Now, I want to be, do as good of a job as I can, right? I don't want to throw the gospel out there as something that nobody is going to want to receive. I want to make it as attractive as possible. I want to do everything I can so people will say yes. But if they don't, I don't have to be discouraged. I've done everything that the Lord wants me to do. And in that day, he will say to me, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord because I've done everything he wanted me to do. Even if people have chosen not 
to accept the free salvation that I offer them. Okay. Uh, what are our takeaways from this message? First of all, discouragement in ministry is not unusual. You know, I'm thankful that God has this example here. John the Baptist had to think of a greater servant of the Lord was completely and utterly discouraged in his ministry. And so it's not to be surprising or shocking if I become discouraged or if somebody else I greatly respect becomes discouraged, right? It's normal, it's possible uh, for us to be discouraged when things don't go the way we expect them to, especially when we're being rejected, especially if we suffer persecution. Uh, Secondly, we want to note that Jesus does not rebuke us for our discouragement, but he seeks to encourage us. And his view of our ministry is very different from our view of our ministry. And by all means, take Jesus' view, not your own view of your ministry. And and finally, uh, like John, we still have a role to play. Even if doors seem to close and opportunities seem to become more limited, seek the opportunities you have where you are right now. Maybe you can't go out and spend time with people witnessing to them, but maybe there's other ways. Maybe uh, you could reach to them uh, by phone, uh, FaceTime, Zoom, email, I'm sure there's lots of other ways that I'm not familiar with, but there may still be, in all your limitation, opportunities. John still had uh, guards at the jail he could speak to if he so chose. He had Herod to speak to when Herod called him up to listen to what he had to say. And uh, as the Lord promised him, he also promises us, and lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you called us to this uh, ministry of being able to, uh, to uh, share the good news of your salvation with those who do not know it, so to speak, uh, be that uh, person standing in the gap trying to turn people from an eternity of separation from God to instead to know the God that loves them and has sent his son to die for their sins. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you will encourage each of us in our ministry, Lord. Uh, discouragements are a legion, and, uh, and yet you have such a different view of our ministry that ought to lift us up from our discouragement. So we pray that you will do so and, uh, and uh, give us fruit, Lord, that we will see it whether we're here on earth or with you in heaven, be able to rejoice over what it is you've done with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.